Welcome to Enneagram Plus Yoga, a podcast for the body, heart, and mind. And Sheba is back with us today. Sheba is a licensed clinical therapist, a TEDx speaker, and she's just really a phenomenal, fun person to hang out with as well. And we're just so excited for you to listen to this episode. We talk about high achievers. We talk about anxiety, life as an Enneagram 4, and many other things. I want to say if you have not heard her TEDx talk on imposter syndrome, please check that out. It is so good. Also, if you're looking for a therapist, I encourage you to look her up. You can find her on Psychology Today. And if you want to see her in person and sit at her feet and learn from her, she is doing a workshop this month with the Chattanooga Women's Leadership Institute. It's going to be April 25th from 1130 to 1. It's about self-awareness and knowing yourself in context. And you can sign up at w or at cwli.org, cwli.org. I also am going to be doing a workshop with them next month. So that's going to be Wednesday, May 17th from 1130 to 1. And so you can check out their website if you'd like to sign up for either one of our workshops. And then Kat and I have some exciting workshops coming up through the Chattery and CEU Creations. And so if you want to sign up for any of our workshops this month, we have three at the Chattery. They're going to be virtual, so you can join us from anywhere in the world. Um, The first one is April the 10th. It's going to be about Enneagram and Meditation. And it's from 6.30 to 7.45 Eastern Standard Time. The second one is on April the 17th, same time. And it's about the Enneagram and mantras. And then the third one is April the 24th. And it's going to be about the Enneagram and yoga. So definitely check that out at thechattery.org. And one final plug, we are doing a workshop for those who are therapists, nurses, even coaches or clergy who are looking for continuing education. And we're doing that uh, virtually through CEU Creations. It's um, an all-day event on Friday, April the 14th. And so you can go to ceucreationsinc.com to learn more and hopefully sign up for that as well. So we'd love to see you at one of those offerings. Again, those are some options of in-person and virtual offerings. Hope that all of you are doing well. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We really, really value our listeners and appreciate you um, just being here to learn more about the Enneagram with us. And you know, it's interesting. I was listening to a very short video. Of course, I don't remember his name, but he's a psychiatrist and he was, um, I think, giving a talk to um, either medical students or some kind of students going into that profession and he was saying that currently there's so little training on trauma that there is you know the pathway of um us sort of curing the root cause is well here's your medication and feel better but to your point it's so much more in-depth than that than here's your pill you're fixed speaking of like the pill piece of just give people a pill, the Enneagram, and I think you as well, are saying, you know, in order to heal, 
the body, you're having to listen to your heart space, the body, your mind, working with that inner critic, um, that this is a holistic healing. And I know that somatic work is really, really integral to what you do. So working with the body, can you talk about that a little bit? So a couple of things come to mind in terms of what I want to respond to about the pill approach versus the the root approach, Mm -hmm. because I think both of them are trying to tackle the same problem, which is specifically when it comes to imposter syndrome um, and anxiety, there is hyper arousal. Yeah. There is hyper stimulation. There are chronic levels of stress. There's a lot of efforting. There's a lot of proving. There's a lot of action, 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 action. Mm-hmm. in hopes to secure a particular outcome or to gain a certain type of ease, but it's a placebo effect that never works. Yeah. <laughs> like temporarily, it might bring you some kind of relief when you achieve a goal or when you're like, oh, I met that mile marker mm-hmm. or, oh, I, I, you know, maybe once I make this amount of money, then I'll feel better. But a lot of times we get there and we realize, oh, actually, here's the next shiny thing. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's the next thing. It never actually ends up being enough. So actually doing more when you feel like less is actually a hamster wheel that just mm-hmm. keeps going. And so eventually when you get locked in a state of hyper arousal and chronic stress, it's going to either show up in like a physical medical way where, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a definitely a correlation between stress and cancer and heart problems and, you know, insulin mm-hmm. resistance, like mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then it can also manifest on the mental health side of things. Sure. Where it could be anxiety or it could be depression. Actually, for me, things that I don't we think we talk about enough are high-functioning anxiety and high-functioning depression, which just look really different than your typical clinical definitions of clinical anxiety mm-hmm. and clinical depression. Um, and so there's a level of suffering that doesn't go, that doesn't get attended because it's concealed or it's hidden. It's not readily recognized because high functioning versions of anxiety and depression externally look like they're fine. Sure. Yeah. But internally they are not fine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just somehow they're able to keep it together for long enough to fool everyone and sometimes even themselves. Sure. Until a moment of reckoning comes and like you can't keep it together anymore. But yeah. When I think of high-functioning anxiety, I think of people who cannot slow down, mm-hmm. who cannot turn off, mm-hmm. who are overdoing, overstepping, and have trouble trusting, and have trouble delegating, mm-hmm. and have trouble being able to... Um, let go. Let go. Yeah. They just can't turn off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's high-functioning anxiety. You can even Google that term. You'll quickly get a lot of information on what high-functioning anxiety looks like. Suddenly you'll be like, oh, my God, a huge part of the population has right, high-functioning right. anxiety. Mm-hmm. In fact, we it's part of the American dream right. to kind of live at that energizer bunny level of just yep. like go, 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 do, do, do. Mm-hmm. Those are what the heroes or the people that we usually praise, you know, look like or sure. appear yeah. like. And speaking sure. of culture, we often talk about the United States of America being an Enneagram 3 culture. Mm-hmm. So it's about mm-hmm. do more, more, mm-hmm. more, achieve, achieve. success, mm-hmm. all of that. Mm-hmm. Although some people are saying we're kind of moving in being a little bit more of a six, Mm. you know, because there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of mistrust, there's a lot of polarization, so yeah, that that culture can inform. Yeah, and on top of that, we call it a dream. Yeah, the American dream. dream, which is so unhealthy if you think about it, you know, 
run, achieve, don't stop. And that's a dream. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the dream. Who <laughs> to work that 70 dream hours up? a week. You yeah. know, who dreamt that up? No, yeah. the dream for me is a siesta and somebody running my feet at 4 p.m. In, in the afternoon. And I don't know, four-day work week. But, yeah. you know, yeah. so anyhow. Yeah, and so you're the right. funny part is what ends up happening is burnout on the other end of that. Right. So with this go, go, go lifestyle, which I'm like, that's actually a high-functioning anxiety lifestyle, then the, the shadow side of that would be burnout. Yeah. Which... I would say is the equivalent of depression. Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. for me, I'm just always looking at the nervous system, that somatic body approach. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at when the body is activated and on versus when the body is like low energy, mm -hmm. low stimulation, hypo arousal. So for me, anxiety is hyper arousal and depression is hypo arousal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what's always gonna happen for people who identify as high achievers, they're gonna be go, 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 go. They're gonna have mini burnouts and if they don't make a lifestyle change, it's going to be more of a long-term burnout. Right. Yeah. The one where it's not sustainable and you literally cannot go back right. to the old way, even if you wanted to, right. because the level of protest that your body is creating makes it untenable to return to that previous level. Yeah. And I, as I think about like the healthiest version of myself in my marriage, the healthiest version of myself in life, it's always when I'm not over-functioning. It's when I'm coming down, slowing down, finding balance in life. And, and I will say for me as a helper that it feels like having a baby, having a child puts you automatically back in caregiving, helping mode. And oh it's God, a little yeah. bit harder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, woo. But when I think about right before I had a baby, I was really in this healthy place um, where I wasn't overworking, over-functioning. And whenever I, I do that in my marriage, um, my husband under-functions. Mm -hmm. And whenever I let things go and just decide, you know what, he's capable. Mm -hmm. We have this great teamwork marriage, right? Mm -hmm. And it, and it's a lot healthier. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, what, how we function also affects the people around us as well. Um, and, and I'd love to hear a little bit more um, about this idea of anxious achievers, because I know that that's part of your work that's related to the imposter syndrome. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, so anxious achievers, I would say that the things that I see them struggling with the most or that they readily recognize when they want to do self-development work or personal growth and transformation mm -hmm. work, um, perfectionism. Mm-hmm people-pleasing, mm -hmm. and um, actually, they don't want anyone to know this, but internally they know it's true, procrastination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I would say those are the three Ps that definitely fuel into imposter mm -hmm. syndrome. Imposter syndrome definitely has those components, those building blocks that, that make it what it is. Um, and also there's like an imbalance that ends up coming up where there may be a superstar in one area of their life, but then other areas of their life end up suffering. Mm -hmm. And usually what ends up happening is that um, it's the relational parts of their life that suffer mm -hmm. while the, the functional productive parts of their life generate the desired outputs of superiors or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, thank you. And what about over-functioning and under-functioning? Could you say a little bit more about that as well? So, especially when it comes to anxious achievers, they tend to be over-functioners. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be 
I like to trace it back to the fog or back to the family of origin. Um, they're usually very observant. They're usually very aware. They're usually very perceptive. They're usually good at reading in between the lines and, you know, later they become like problem solvers and, sure. you know, creative thinkers and innovators, et cetera, et cetera. But like they just have a knack for uh, recognizing what's not going right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because they have this natural gift of being so perceptive, they take on that responsibility. Mm -hmm. They can tell when mom is upset or they can tell when aunt is sick or they can tell when like, oh, little brother needs to be taken care of. Let me fill in the gap because dad is stretched from work or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or they can tell that like, ooh, these are the things that normally trip or trigger or cause anger in the parent. So let me walk around eggshells. Let me modify myself so that I become palatable mm -hmm. and I don't do anything to upset the delicate balance of the home. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they overfunction. So instead of being a child who developmentally is doing what's appropriate, they assume responsibilities. Sometimes it's because it was assigned to them from the family unit. Mm -hmm. And that's especially common in marginalized communities and immigrant communities because they don't have resources available mm -hmm. to them. So they're trying to do the best that they can with the little resources that they have. And then little people have to do more than little people should ever have done yeah. in their entire lives. They have to parent themselves and they have to learn and to parent their the siblings. And, yeah. and sometimes they even parent their parents you get it cat you get it cat <laughs> yes <laughs> um so they learn how to over function at an earlier time mm -hmm. and especially for family systems that don't know how to recognize that the child is over functioning they just think oh, this child is so gifted mm -hmm. they're an old soul mm -hmm. they're you know gold star like oh mm -hmm. praise like oh they make it so easy on me mm -hmm. and so you know they think that they're building the child up but the child is actually Get, getting more and more pressure don't make a mistake sure. yeah it's gonna fall apart if I don't do it nobody else will sure a memory that's coming up for me right now is that when I was in college I bought my parents a couch right like this is the helper right anticipating their needs being responsible like that was a lot of money for me as a college student who was paying for college by myself right like mm -hmm. my parents didn't help me with college but there I was trying to be responsible for them as well because I was anticipating needs like a typical two. And so mm -hmm. there, you know, and what you're describing also sounds like in the world of, you know, the alcohol, a child of an alcoholic, mm -hmm. the hero child, mm -hmm. right? Like this mm -hmm. highly responsible kid who decides that they're the one who's going to take care of everybody, their siblings, their parents, which is the role I tried to take on as a kid. Well, and the thing is, a kid become a young adult, becomes yeah. a adult. Exactly. And the million dollar question is, then how do you get out of that cycle? Yeah. How do you recognize what it is you're doing? How do you recognize not only how it presents itself, but why? Mm -hmm. And then how do you help yourself get mm -hmm. out of the cycle? And I yeah. guess that's the whole mm -hmm. point of this so, conversation. Like, how do you do it? Yeah. So this will come back to something we, we didn't finish before, this idea of pill versus root. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, I like how we're saying, like, yes, these, these young children become young adults who become later adults, which also, they're often fixer types, helper types, doer types. Right. And the fixer has, like, a more cognitive approach. The helper has a more, like, relational behavioral approach. And then the, the doer is more about, like, um, uh, 
like making things, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, creating things. Making it mm-hmm. efficiency, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you even see how, like, the there's the there's the cognitive with the fixer, the helper is, like, the relational, and then the doer is more of, like, the, the builder. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Hands on. Hands on. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Which, in the um, language of the Enneagram, you just went through one, two, and three <laughs> for our listeners, you know, mm. the, the one, the perfectionist, they're highly responsible, they're fixers, they're you know, very hands-on, the two, the helper, they're very relational, they're warm, mm. and then the three is the achiever, and they're, they're doers, and they're very efficient, and yeah, mm-hmm. so. And the thing is that, like, a little bit of all of the numbers are in all of us. Oh, yes. yes. And yes. then, depending on the context you came from, you might borrow from more of these oneness, or twoness, yep. or threeness yeah. to fill in the gap, yep. as you are this responsible yes. child who is very responsive to your environment, and become what is needed, instead of what's natural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you become this overfunctioner who's filling in the gaps, yeah. who's swooping in, yeah. who's coming in to do things that they weren't even asked, right? And then you're praised and reinforced for it, right. not just by the individual family unit, but also in terms of the American dream. It's like, yeah. wow, that's so amazing. How do you do everything? Yeah. How mm-hmm. do you keep doing it all? As mm-hmm. if that's what we're supposed to be doing and that's right. what's good and healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. But really, it's incomplete. It's out of balance. And it's going to fall over like a, a thing of Jenga blocks eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But like the antidote is actually so simple, so unreal. Like everyone's going to just be like, what? No, I don't even see how that works or how that can. Or they're going to be like, that sounds like an awful idea. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Yeah. You know, don't talk to me about that. Slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. Because with the overfunctioning, what you actually do is leave the wisdom of your body you crawl into the treehouse of your head okay. and you're dissociated mm-hmm. from shoulders down. So you're not aware of your needs. You're not aware of your desires. Mm-hmm. You're not aware of your preferences, mm-hmm. your likes, your wants. Psh, you have no self to connect mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And because you disconnected from yourself, that's why you have a superpower to connect to the systems and processes and expectations of everybody else. So you spend yourself not knowing that you are deteriorating yourself. Right. And you must slow down to drop from your head back into your body. Right. It's a nervous system thing. Mm-hmm. If you're in hyperarousal, if you're in hyperstimulation, if everything is like, mm-hmm. you've got to pause, you've got to have margins, you've got to slow things down, and most people, they cannot stand being bored. Yeah. <gasps> well, you know, and here's being the thing. Still. is in yoga, um... When I go in, anxious, frenetic, carrying the weight of a day, right? But I go in, and and this usually happens more in slower classes, but not always. But usually if I'm doing gentle yoga, mindful vinyasa, something a little bit slower, I'm starting to regulate my nervous system Mm -hmm. through the breathing. And and it's harder for me in a faster class to keep up with the breathing so this might not be true for somebody who can breathe the whole time in a Mm -hmm. faster class Mm -hmm. by shavasana my nervous system is just in that place where the parasympathetic nervous system is working and i'm present and um, by the end of Shavasana, there's usually creativity and ideas that are emerging because I have slowed down and entered my body. Because we do in, our, in the daily rhythm of life, um, you know, we end up living here in our heads. 
but I enter the body through the movement, through the breath. I slow down and it's amazing. It happens time and time again, just all these creative thoughts, but also just the present moment. And, and when I think about times in life where I have allowed for just boredom, not doing a lot, slowing down, I am so much more creative. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. Uh, which is still hard for me because I still think there's, you know, that part of me that's whispering, you're only going to be enough if you're helping others, if you're active and responsible in the world, you know, it's mm -hmm. still, it still whispers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I have to like really talk back to it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I want to take a moment to acknowledge why some people have tried to slow down. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the experience you have. Yes. They don't have the release that you have. They don't have the creativity. In fact, it might even make things worse the for discomfort. them. Yes. The discomfort. They don't know how to tolerate the discomfort. They don't know how to move past the discomfort. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they may even get frozen and stuck or even spiral in the discomfort. Yeah. And so this is where I'm going to come back to like pill versus root and like what's actually going on. Um, I think that's really important. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Because like, so what ends up happening when you're in that chronic state of stress where you're locked and you can't come down from it, um, you're in that anxious place, you cannot slow down. Um, a, a way to do a system override is to take a pill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to just very quickly like modify your mechanisms and, and you know, the, the chemical, whatever. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times what I found medication does is it takes the edge off. Right. It dulls mm -hmm. your responsiveness. Right. So it doesn't change the level of stress that you're mm -hmm. taking on and that you're absorbing or your inability to digest and metabolize. Right. It's just making you less aware of the discomfort that's still happening behind the scenes. Okay, may I interrupt you for a second? That's just the thought came, came memory came in my mind. So when that psychiatrist was doing the talk, he said specifically about women that in this country, 25% of women on um, are some kind of um, medication. We're talking depression, anxiety, whatever. And I want to be very clear, we're not anti-medication. Right, right. um, and the point that that doctor made, he said, when you take medication, the work does not stop. The work begins. Ah. That is the place when mm -hmm. the edge is off mm -hmm. and then you can start addressing the root cause the trauma, mm -hmm. the past experience, mm -hmm. the whatever that may be. Yes. That for me was like the aha moment. Yes. Because it's, let's not just say, no, we're not going to take any medication. We're anti-medication. Just go and breathe and take a yoga class and then mm -hmm. sit quietly with your thoughts, yada, yada, blah, blah. For a lot of people, it's just not, it just not reality. It activates their anxiety. It act, exactly. Yeah. But, but, but the point that I think is important to make is the pill is not the fix. The pill is an aid yes. to do yes. more work. Yes. That's where the work begins. For, right. For I the wellness, that. it gives you that, uh, that, 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 that gives you the capacity. platform and capacity yeah. to start that uncomfortable work that can be actually tolerated mm -hmm. and worked through instead of taking yourself in. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. I'm just a human. But I think 
that makes that makes sense to me. Oh, makes so no I'm sense. sorry for interrupting, no, but this that's is precisely this is why where it's at. This you is... know, people get very uncomfortable when they slow down, and we can't say, "Well, just try it again. Just sit still. Just don't think about things." Well, the danger, though, the right. danger is is if the work doesn't begin. If you just take the pills. Right. That's where the opiate epidemic right. shows up, right? right? Because right. it becomes, I just need more pills. And if you're not doing right. something complimentary, right. there's, you know, It's a comprehensive a approach. Yeah. It has to and, be. And as a mental health professional, I'm so grateful that you took the time to break that apart. Because honestly, that should have been my job to make sure I caught that. But I'm so grateful for you, Kat. I'm going to say, I just play one on TV. That's all. Hey, you, you, you are an advocate for the body and the mind. And I love how you're taking this big picture approach because at the end of the day, like, yes, we do need those aids. We need those supports because there's something, again, I'm going to say about the ecosystem or about the system or about the way that things are built and the way that things are flowing that's creating an unnatural, ungodly amount of stress mm -hmm. inside of us and outside of us. Mm -hmm. And we were never meant to hold that much negative charge at any one given time. Can I please interrupt again? Okay. <laughs> so last night, so I have a 10th grader, and last night we are on Zoom with the headmaster <laughs> of her school because the kids have to pick their subjects for the next year. And he says, I want you all as parents to understand that today, children, we're talking 16-year-olds, in comparison to how we were 20, 30 year olds at this age, have immeasurable amount of stress and busyness. What these children are expected to do and are doing, and I'm talking, this is generation now. I don't think my child's school is just an exception to the rule, that they are under so much stress and pressure to do the amounts of that they do that it's incomparable to how we were at that age exactly why do you th what do you think that's going to grow into right and so another way to talk about stress is from just a purely objective right point of view is like levels of stimulation right the amount of tabs that we have open at any given time mm -hmm. like the amount that we're expected to be able to juggle and multitask and hold together to fill the day with the things mm -hmm. we're expected to fill the day with and so as our children have to do more then the parents have to do everything they've already been doing from <laughs> to sustain the, the household mm -hmm. to also enhancing the the growth and keeping the children you know up to date with the other children blah 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 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I want to come back to something you said about the, the pill and the medication, mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be an mm -hmm. aid. Let's get back to like why the discomfort cannot be tolerated. Yes. Tell us why the discomfort cannot be tolerated. Um, one of the easiest ways I wish we had a visual now, mm -hmm. um, because it goes back to relational trauma. I believe that it's at the root of all dysregulation, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. relational trauma. Because what happens with the re relational trauma is that you have a rupture mm -hmm. with someone who is in your world, someone in your community, someone you love or someone that you care about, and then you're not able to repair it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the skill and the tools and the resources to be able to repair it, then there's no room for mistakes. 
because it's over. Mm-hmm. You're going to burn a bridge. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to recover from mm-hmm. it. So if you weren't taught how to manage failure or manage mistakes or manage ruptures in relationships, if you don't have a template that says, oh, no biggie, here's resilience. This is what resilience looks like, and here's how we repair, recover, and we, you know, we, we pivot back. What ends up happening is then you don't even know how to deal with when you let yourself down. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Say that again. <laughs> Say that again. That's so good. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how to repair the relationships that you have with your outside world, yeah. then your inside world is going to be rife with burned bridges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are going to be disconnected from so many parts of yourself because the moment that you don't know how to relate anymore, how to connect, how to be compassionate, how to be understanding, how to be forgiving, how to be patient, if, if someone in the outside world didn't do that for you, you can't do that for yourself. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. simply cannot. And to, for me, that's what the relational trauma is about. So then what ends up happening is you have to compartmentalize. There's some parts of you you can't deal with because it's too much discomfort to be able to tolerate it. Mm-hmm. And so just like you don't have the skill set to, to deal with the pain and the discomfort that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And so just like how we talk about in the workplace that silos are a problem or like an issue when people are not communicating and when there isn't a collaboration you know, between mm-hmm. the different groups, Well, within our own parts inside of us, there are silos built inside where there isn't communication. I love that. So then we're full of conflicts. That's why a part of me wants to, you know, um, go and just work at a zoo, and then another part of me wants to be a CEO. Now, that's a push and pull of a four now. But yes, you're absolutely right. We talk about multiple personality disorder, but the truth is we all have multiple parts inside of us that are conflicting with each other and they may not have different names right but they're there and they're so for a one or a three it might look like a part of me wants to go and like finish that project and another part of me wants to just sit on the couch and watch the show which you know what I mean so like the language of the Enneagram because for the three which you just gave that example they want to do right Mm -hmm. but their nine arrow says I want to be slothful Mm -hmm. and I want to rest but they often don't give themselves permission to do that. And then when they do, sometimes it can turn to stress and they can become super depressed and slothful. And so those are those different parts inside of us that are in, at odds with one another. So like internal family systems mm-hmm. um, does a really great job of communicating the different parts, but so does the Enneagram. I mean, they're, they're very complementary, even mm-hmm. though they have different names of what they call things, right? Firefighters, managers versus arrows, wings. All. It's a different language, but it's saying similar things. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so the thing about these internal conflicts, especially if we've experienced relational trauma externally, we don't have the skills to like deal with the rupture, so we have ruptures inside of ourselves. Stay tuned for a very brief meditation after this word from our sponsor. And thanks for listening. said come out of the circle of time and into the circle of love find a breath in and a breath out the Enneagram 2 is invited to come out of the circle of helping and into the circle of receiving find a breath in And a breath out. 
The Enneagram 3 is invited to come out of the circle of doing and into the circle of being. Find a breath in and a breath out. The Enneagram 4 is invited to come out of the circle of comparing yourself and into the circle of seeing yourself. Find a breath in and a breath out. The Enneagram 5 is invited to come out of the circle of observing others and to come in to the circle of connection. Find a breath in and a breath out. The Enneagram 6 is invited to come out of the circle of fear and in to the circle of trust. Find a breath in and a breath out. The Enneagram 7 is invited to come out of the circle of gluttony and to come in to the circle of this very moment. Find a breath in. And find a breath out. The Enneagram 8 is invited to come out of the circle of power and to come into the circle of vulnerability. Find a breath in. Find a breath out. The Enneagram 9 is invited to come out of the circle of acquiescing and to move into the circle of speaking your voice. Find a breath in. Find a breath out. The Enneagram One is invited to come out of the circle of perfectionism and to move into the circle of giving themselves grace. Find a breath in and a big breath out and coming back to Rumi's words come out of the circle of time and come in to the circle of love namaste namaste